Your next date is three weeks away. Three weeks? You told her you're staying with football training. I, I did? Yes, also you're in a debate on who's the better heifer. We don't have time to school you on everything Astor thinks you are, so we have to be selective. Deep versus broad-based learning. Huh? We spy on her, then cram you on her greatest hits. Oh, cool. Are you ready for this? Yes. Are you ready for this? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Shh. Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow me at JokesOnDrew. All right, so this is a special episode of sorts for us. We are doing a double dip, a straight double feature in the classic sense. Later in the show, we will have my conversation with the co-host of the Mike, Mike, and Oscar podcast and frequent guest of this show, also Mike. He and I do a full breakdown of the new indie teen romantic comedy, the half of it, and then we get into a full look at the landscape of film right now and what we can look forward to for the rest of 2020. But before we get to that, we get to do a bonus review of sorts. Uh, Our friends at Netflix allowed us early access to the new crime and mystery rom-com The Lovebirds, starring Issa Rae and Kamal Nanjiani. So I'll be doing a solo review of that film in just a moment. But of course, I want to thank you all for listening. Please help out our pod by giving us a glowing five-star review and subscribe to us right now so you don't miss any of our awesome reviews in the future. All right, let's get to it. Up first, my review of The Lovebirds. Give a listen. He's dead. We know he's dead, but we didn't kill him. He like to report a murder or whatever. We didn't murder anybody. One, two, three, go. Woo! Okay, the guy's name is Jabron. Run, Leilani. And the girl's name's actually Leilani. Shit. She's running too now. Kind of slowly, cause she's wearing heels that look actually amazing. We have to go to the police because we have nothing to hide. Why is she run from the scene of the crime? Good question, officer. That's me covering up my body cam so I can beat your ass. We just need to find the guy the police are looking for. So you're suggesting we actually solve a murder? It's locked. Did you think it was one of those men-only doors? All we need is a name, and then we're in the clear. Hey, man, it's been a minute. (laughs) Who are you? All right, so let's talk about The Lovebirds. The Lovebirds comes out today. Uh, It's a movie that was originally slated for an April 3rd release uh, through Paramount Pictures. But obviously we are going through quite the stretch in this pandemic world. And it kind of turned the film world upside down. It made big news when this particular film was picked up by Netflix. And you could see why Netflix would want a movie like this. Netflix is very good at kind of finding the right algorithm to sell a movie with particular amount of star power and names and can try to drive uh, eyeballs to the platform from a movie like this, especially they're, you know, known for kind of some of their best stuff on the platform being in the romantic comedy genre, which is basically what this is. It's basically a romantic comedy with a little bit of like crime and adventure thrown in, in between. It's kind of like a, 
you know, a, a, a couple's version of a date night from hell kind of a thing. Uh, it kind of feels like, the, actually kind of like the movie Date Night uh, with Steve Carell and Tina Fey that came out years ago. Uh, has a little bit of the hallmark of that. The movie uh, is about a couple uh, played by Issa Rae, who you might know from HBO's Insecure and one of the films that actually got a theatrical release this year, The Photograph. Uh, and her counterpart is Kumail Nanjiani, who uh, you definitely know from HBO's Silicon Valley or The Big Sick, which came out in 2017. Uh, the couple experiences a defining moment in their relationship when they are unintentionally embroiled in a murder mystery. As their journey to clear their names takes them from one extreme circumstance to the next, they must figure out how they and their relationship can survive the night. So now you basically got the plot. You see the trailer. You kind of see, you know, they're mixed up with a, a guy who murders a, a another man on a bike. And they look to be good for the murder because people find them. They don't find the guy who actually committed the murder and they go on the run. And this is, you know, there are a few reasons why you would want to press play on this film. Like I said, you get the backstory of the acquisition during uh, the coronavirus pandemic from Paramount Pictures. So a lot of people on film Twitter kind of saw this as the you know, the beginning of something, maybe the beginning of a trend that, you know, maybe Netflix and Amazon and all these other streaming platforms were going to just start buying up these mid-level movies and start putting them directly to streaming uh, instead of, you know, waiting it out or pushing the release dates back. And obviously, I you know, this is important in terms of the overall landscape, but it was one of the first movies which makes it kind of stick out in people's minds the other part uh, of why you would press play on this is a lot of the names that i just mentioned you got it's a two-hander with kumail nanjiani uh and Issa ray nanjiani uh we could talk about him for a minute because uh, his he's kind of like the tale of two halves of his career right now to where he had an incredible amount of momentum he kind of built this career on stand-up and then he, you know, he even has a show on Comedy Central, The Meltdown, uh, with him and Jonah Ray, who went on to do Mystery Science Theater 3000. And, you know, he's, you know, slowly building up, you know, with improv projects like Portlandia, uh, you know, and he's on shows like, I believe he was on Franklin and Bash on TNT. He had a lot of things going for him. And then all of a sudden, he gets to do a very personal story uh, with The Big Sick. And The Big Sick is 2017. Uh, obviously, we're here in 2020. Uh, and, you know, since then, since 2017's The Big Sick, it's kind of a, a very big change for him. He couldn't be hotter, obviously, coming off of that. Uh, but now, you know... Here, here's where we're at. I mean, Silicon Valley starts to, to peter out, and that ends last year. Uh, he's co-starring with David Batista on a largely forgettable Stuber. Does everybody remember Stuber uh, that came out uh, in 2019? And then he does a couple of voice characters with the critically panned disaster that was Men in Black International. And then he does another voice job in the terrible family film Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr., uh, in early 2020 and now 
this is the Lovebirds, and I Walter is the guy who brought you the big sick. He also is an incredible improv actor and and writer. You know, Wet Hot American Summer, The State, Stella, the man is an icon in the comedy and improv community. And, you know, now is starting to kind of bring his directing chops up by coming off the big sick. And you're bringing all these elements back together. Uh, You even sprinkle in some, you know, character actor performances from Anna Camp, who you might know from Pitch Perfect, True Blood, and Paul Sparks, who you may have seen in Boardwalk Empire, or I definitely liked him in House of Cards. So a lot of things can bring you to the table. But after I tell you all those reasons to press play, here are the reasons why I would basically say stay away. Because the movie is basically a kind of a painfully mediocre film with a razor-thin script that makes a, a two-hander like this a heavy load on its lead couple. And for how much I enjoy uh, Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani in other things, I definitely think they didn't have enough meat on here to really pan it out. I mean, if somebody told me that this movie was 100% improv dialogue with a skeleton script, I'd absolutely believe it. Uh, you know, like I said, Michael Showalter, who is a legend in, in that type of field, plus, you know, Nanjiani has Silicon Valley in Portlandia, which you definitely know have a lot of improv going that, plus he was a stand-up. So, you know, it might sound like a recipe to kind of rely on the chops here to try to, you know, bring something out. I mean, but basically, it doesn't. And and these guys, uh, there are some funny moments. It is not a you know a, a miserable movie. It wasn't a complete disaster. And especially at a movie that is basically like eighty five minutes, maybe. Um, it goes by fast. It doesn't dwell too hard on anything. Um, but you know, there's a lot of plot between the murders. And a secret underground, eyes wide shut like group that conveniently, you know, goes nowhere. Uh, you know, you have a dirty cop angle in this film that is very tired and basic, and puts a bow on a lot of those plot devices from the murders in the secret underground group uh, to bed in a very easy way. That you know, it, I know it's a comedy, and I know a lot of times people use that as like a crutch to not give a lot in terms of the script, but man, they really don't wrap anything up very easily. And, and it's just not good. If you're coming to this movie for the plot, you're wrong. It's not going to give you anything. Uh, you hope that the ride and and the performances will kind of feed enough into this movie, enough life into this movie that you're going to enjoy it. But frankly, it doesn't quite get there. And of course, one of the things, if you're going to make a romantic comedy, you know, you kind of have to buy into the couple. The couple is the, you know, the foundation of everything, especially in this movie where, you know, it's kind of a rocky relationship that, you know, you're seeing if it can survive this ordeal. And, you know, you kind of have to believe that there's something to see at the end of the tunnel. Do you want to see this couple get back together? Do you care? And I will say, from from my perspective, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really care. I mean, I like to see these people 
They're they're quality actors. They're good looking people. You know, it's definitely something uh, a pair that separately I thoroughly enjoy. However, together, the movie doesn't do it any favors. But man, do they not have the chemistry that I I feel like. You know, they just slap two people together. I I don't see besides the fact that obviously Kumail and Showalter have a history with the big sick together. I don't know why they paired these two together in general, um, but I, I just wasn't buying it. And I don't know if a lot of people will. And, you know, uh, Netflix, you know, they have kind of a reputation for making these really good romantic comedies. And one of the things they do absolutely right is they set up these pairs that have this chemistry and this back and forth, you know, between always be my maybe or set it up being like the the shining examples or, or obviously uh, the To All the Boys I've Loved Before series, you know, you get these performances and these connections with people that maybe you didn't know too much before. Maybe you only knew one of the two, but then they kind of just pair together so nicely that it carries the film. This film, I think, you know, is short on purpose. I think it's just, they tried to do their best with taking two known people and just letting it ride and... It doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. And so, you know, with the this bad streak that Kumail Nanjiani's been on, uh, and obviously I don't think this helps whatsoever, you know, I hope that, you know, the space that's going to be between this and whenever The Eternals ends up coming out in 2021, I believe that's going to be early, probably like a March date or something like that. I know they pushed it back from late this year. So... If we get that and and he's struggling again, I don't know what to think about Kumail as as an as a movie actor. I think he might need to go back to his roots a little bit. I don't know if this is exactly what people want to see from him um or <laughs> quite frankly, I'd rather have something with more of a of a plot and uh, more of uh, something in the script, but you know, for him, I loved his stand-up I thought his personal touch with the big sick is kind of what and and his character actor and his awesome performance in Silicon Valley. All that is however that shakes out, more of that, please. Because this this I, I couldn't take uh, you know, which is unfortunate. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, I want him to succeed. I want someone like Issa Rae to succeed. I think she's very good. She's magnetic. Uh, it, you know, you can't take your eyes off her. She's very good at delivering lines. She's so comfortable to watch, but man, uh, there is nothing here. Uh, and I would probably say this is a stay away from me, but please don't stay away from the rest of this podcast. Because we have an excellent review of a movie that can also be categorized as a romantic comedy, but it's that and so much more. It's the return of writer-director Alice Wu, and the film is called The Half of It. And you might have watched it already. It came out in early May. Uh, it's kind of a coming-out party for Leah Lewis, who plays Ellie Chu, who is a shy, kind of introverted, Chinese-American, straight-A student who finds herself helping the school jock. I guess you can call him that. He's a backup tight end, for God's sake. But they both woo a girl they both secretly love and in the process they each teach each other about the nature of love as they find connection 
in the most unlikely of places. It's a sweet film. It's a teen film. It's got a lot of different labels, but uh, you know, it's one of those movies that once I saw it, I was like, this this might fit in a year of 2020, uh, where you know there's not a lot of films out right now, and especially not a lot of really good films. So maybe, just maybe, this might have some awards contention for later in the year. So I brought on my friend uh, and frequent guest, also Mike, from the Mike, Mike, and Oscar podcast, the award-centric film podcast that, you know, is absolutely amazing. They do a great job, and I figure his particular lens of what they do with their podcast and kind of seeing the big picture about all the film would be a great fit for... For looking at this film, we do a full breakdown of this film, but then at the end there, we kind of kind of take a look at what the rest of 2020 might look like and kind of, you know, not to do a full preview kind of a thing, but kind of just taking the temperature of where we are, what Netflix's chances are, what the chances of this film doing any, any damage uh, in terms of award season later on in the year, and it's really good. So I hope you guys stick around. Here is our review of the half of it. Hope you enjoy it. All right. On the line, very frequent guests of ours. We've done a lot of uh, nice crossover episodes uh, over the past year. And obviously, even in quarantine, we've kept this up doing an amazing job over at Mike, Mike and Oscar. Uh, and also uh, from reading his notes, future consultant, I guess would be the word for high school football games on film. It's also Mike. How's it going, man? Yeah, the football is terrible in this movie. Let's just get that. <laughs> let's just get that uh, established right off the bat here. You cannot fumble forward 30 yards in, in air to a gunner who's yeah. you know, way behind the defense. It's absurd that they would yeah. call it a forward pass. I mean, maybe they're swallowing their whistles later in the game because they're like, all right, let these kids get one on the board. I've seen some weird shit happen. You know, yeah. weird calls happen when that when that goes. But yeah, I'm a high school football <laughs> coach of 10 years, and this was preposterous. But I love the movie despite the ridiculous football. So it's it's a it it, 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 it that's a tough you know hill to climb with me. If there's bad football in a film, like I don't like Remember the Titans as much as some people because of the bad football. So oh, the, wow. this movie surpassed my expectations elsewhere. Thank God. <laughs> Well, I I echo your sentiment that I I completely enjoyed this film as well. The half of it was uh, a movie that I saw the trailer, uh, you know, even in a pandemic, I was almost like on the fence about whether I was going to get into it. Uh, You know, there's been so many of these type of films that the Sereno kind of stand in the, you know, the it kind of gets tired and hack over over time and the trailer didn't do enough above board to kind of let me sink into a story like this and you know i i had a few people reach out to me to try to you know maybe that like hey when are you covering this or are you covering this and i was like oh okay i guess i'll end up watching this film and boy was i pleasantly surprised yeah they've done this a million times before just take the public domain you know, storyline and basically redux it to, to modern times. It worked with 10 Things I Hate About You, maybe not so much with She's the Man, you know, to take the Shakespeare <laughs> side of things. Yes. But I, yeah, I was also hesitant, like, all right, they're, you know, reduxing Cyrano de Bergerac. 
could work. Uh, it could, you know, get the uh, the the high school literature, you know, uh, muscles flexing again for me. But I I was surprised at at how modern they did make this and and how uh, and how they they use the through line of the story to just let it let it crackle and let it let it uh, let it spark here. I, I thought they did a beautiful job. Alice Wu, she has got some chops, man. Yeah, which uh, her story kind of also brought me to the party. There's a lot of things here that mm. kind of brought me up to, to kind of getting uh, to hit the play button on this one. You know, she had accolades with Saving Face back in 2004. She mm-hmm. was uh, nominated for a Gotham Award for Best Breakthrough Director at the time and, you know, uh, was acknowledged across the board. It was a very personal story about, uh, you know, related to her coming out as a lesbian, uh, to her parents and kind of surrounding that conversation. And she gets all these acknowledgments and award and has all this momentum and then she doesn't make a film now until today this is 16 years later so i definitely wanted to know all about her backstory and why that happened and obviously you know i want to almost as like kind of rooting for her i wanted this movie to be good to kind of have as kind of this you know comeback kid story uh behind the scenes as well as just wanting this film to be good well it was writer's block right i mean writer's block does that no. to people <laughs> it just no. crushes you no, no what her, her her mother got sick oh, uh so I she ended up yeah she uh, she got pitched I'm glad i brought things. this up so we could bring in the uh <laughs> heartbreaking story this is like the nfl draft all over again which tragedy trey wingo here yeah right and, and honestly i just went through because back to the futures back on uh netflix and, yeah. and you know a lot of people are kind of using it for comfort food and i was on a podcast that we went over it and i i never really you know went head first into the story of why they switched jennifers mm-hmm. and then when i went through that of course it's a very similar story where oh no you know um her mother got sick she quit acting so when they asked her to you know be in part two she was like i can't so yeah tough stuff but i'm glad i laughed you into that story (laughs) i do this all the time it's an inherited trait from my grandmother and she would just like be yucking it up at every funeral i ever saw her at Uh and god bless her god bless her she's and and her funeral by the way was the funniest funeral ever because all of her (laughs) friends were like that everybody else was like that there including me being an asshole but yeah that's that's a terrible story i'm so glad you told it but i i i I was gonna say like like she went back to her roots with a story from ninth grade with something from 10th grade English, Cyrano de Bergerac, and she came back swinging with 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 some with a spine like that. And I'm I, I guess I'm happy for her because she like melded classic storytelling with this, you know, with all these text message montages. So I was very impressed with the filmmaking here. Yeah, it it definitely feels modern yet i i know i listened to an interview with her uh they actually do uh, a full kind of like commentary track mm. podcast where you watch it with her um and cool. she definitely made mention to say like she really wanted to make this movie feel modern yet evergreen and i felt that while i was watching that i you know because it's got the small town charm yeah. that plays uh you know for future years but also did things that a lot of people don't do well, like you were mentioning the text message thing. I mean, we've come so far. There's been movies where, like, 
you know, the long stretches of text messages and it's kind of like going back and forth between cutting and trying to keep it going. And now we've integrated this more seamlessly now to where we can kind of follow through the conversations. In fact, sometimes I think they overdo it. But this movie, like, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to throw out a big name here. Martin Scorsese-ish, because it's so dependent upon exposition and montage and voiceover with the music, and it's just like, I I was so surprised on rewatch to see how fast-moving everything was, and like you said, the way they work in the text messages, going back and forth, the letter writing at first, but then the text messages later on, when they were writing letters, though, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure when this movie was set, and then once I got the text messages going to, to you know to go back to your point there you realize it's in modern times and and then you get that modernity through the through the rest of it otherwise they're talking about you know Ishiguro who's been writing forever and they're talking about you know all these famous you know these old books and whatnot so you you really didn't know until until they started clicking their phones there which is totally kids and I, you can't make a movie about kids if they're not clicking on their phones every two minutes oh for sure so that I, worked and to be honest, that's why like a lot of the 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 interactions between uh, Paul and Aster actually make more sense that mm. he could be so good in one way and not in person. I mean, it's a little too much at times, like uh, that you would think that it would have died on the vine way earlier on. But the the other stuff was so compelling. I think it just propels forward, and and the way that it's more important to almost be better on on message uh, a lot of times in the modern age. So I think that's how it got to, to ride it out uh, for much longer than most people would probably believe. But uh, to echo your point, I absolutely believe uh, I the same as you with as far as the editing is concerned and the, and the propulsion of this movie. And I did, uh, in the Scorsese sense too, they really knew how to pick them in terms of the music notes and how to, how to ride that momentum and the, and the, Specifically what they chose and how it leads to, especially the Chicago song, If You Leave Me Now, when they're in the hot springs, that it kind of, it makes a lot of sense in the progression of what they were playing in in meaningful times, like the John Denver song, Mm -hmm. the Gordon Lightfoot song, and then kind of moves up a little bit slightly more modern to uh, Chicago, if you leave me now, uh, and, and having these be moments that, you know, mean a lot lyrically if you pay attention to the moment when they're played and kind of like playing off each other with that uh and then also having it mean something to her mother and and having yeah uh those moments kind of move forward as far as like her becoming more out of her shell and maybe more like her mother that you know the the kind of the songs kind of update to to following through to the payoff that you get in the hot springs. So I thought they used that very well uh, with that as, uh, you know, as well. But uh, I do love the back, uh, the, the back and forth between the modern and the more, the classic. Old, yeah. And, yeah uh, which is what the movie is. is. Word. Yeah. I was going to say also like the quaint, because you're talking about like small town living mm-hmm. and it kind of feels like a town stuck in time a little bit too. So <laughs> train you tracks. That. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. A, a lot of things. And, you know, obviously the father's obsession with watching like older classic films mm-hmm. and, and a lot of those films kind of in the same way they use the music in here, the films kind of also echo some of the plot device stuff and, and some of the feelings that 
some of the characters are going through. So I thought that was a great back and forth. But one thing I, I do want to say, uh, and I don't know if you feel the same way I do, this movie is going to have so many labels mm. uh, because it is a lot of different styles and blends. And for what people are trying to come to the party, you can bring a lot of different people because the movie could be uh, in the rom-com category for people. People who enjoy those might enjoy it. Uh, it's obviously an L- LGBTQ film, uh, so you're going to have people who are, you know, coming. Maybe especially if they were into Saving Face, or obviously, you know, if they just want to see better representation and inclusion. You know, maybe they want to come to this party. Uh, you have a uh, a child who lost a parent. Movie. You have an immigrant story, but. All of those things kind of fall to the wayside when, to me, the movie is just really about being seen. It's very simple in its message. And I think the best stuff in the movie, weirdly enough, even though you know the, the, the lesbian stuff is an angle and it's part of the triangle that they're going through, but to me, I thought the best stuff was just the, the budding, you know, from business partner to, <laughs> you know, budding friendship uh, between Ellie and Peter, uh, because it kind of, you have to go through that and become more established, you know, as interpersonal conversation before you can love, before you can get to that point. So they need each other. But to me, I think the the best part about the movie and the most fun too is their relationship and i'm glad that the movie realized that in a way by ending it on ellie and peter and not uh on an aster moment there are so many things this movie gets right i i love smart articulate characters just in general and these kids you know as protagonists of the film is the three-hander that this is the love triangle that this is i mean it's very respectful of young people to make them so smart, to make them so articulate. And they give you the contrast to that with the Paul character, how he's not, because some of the kids I work with, I mean, Red <laughs> Foreman of uh, that 70s show would have words to describe them. Yes. <laughs> you know, they're dumb. They're dumbasses. They're like, dumbasses. Yeah, yeah. I okay. mean, I, you know, I, 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 to, po- to your point, to your original point, my father recommended this movie to me he watched it the day it was released on netflix it was a friday and i watched it on saturday and my you know my dad's an older school guy i mean he's you know he's not watching portrait of a lady on fire he's not seeking that out necessarily (laughs) but i mean he's you know he's an ally too in his way but i mean i would not expect for him to you know recommend a lesbian romance to me a ya lesbian romance and here he was like this movie's great mike you gotta watch this so absolutely this movie plays in, in in more corners and more demographics than you think you know all the high school kids are in this strange classic rock phase but that's not all that untrue because all the kids i coach they're listening to acdc before games so yeah. it's, it's it really is true and then you get this lorene scafaria hustlers montage scorsese thing going on with all the voiceover narration which is i'm just shocked to see how this movie is just propelled on voiceover narration reading the letters reading the text and 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 have all of that drive your story with that back and forth and with that montage you have to be so on top of your game and alice Wu, for her to handle that momentum when 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 those sequences are in full bore and then to handle the slowdowns 
the way she does. And to, to, for her to be able to, you know, to handle that hot springs moment or the, you know, the, the scene between father and daughter, I, I, I'm just so impressed with her. And upon rewatch, it was just like, I mean, I was gushing, like the blocking of some scenes. It was gorgeous. So she, she's got her stamp on, on this entire thing. You know, I hope that, uh, you know, I, I hope it's, it's a tribute in many ways to her mom, I guess, you know, but, but that this being a very personal story coming around to the, to that, uh, you know, anecdote you told that I shat upon earlier in this <laughs> recording, like yeah. a jerk, but I mean, it must've, it must, there's so much autobiography here too, which is, which is very refreshing. And that's, that's so hard to do. I mean, we were talking about our screenplays before we started today and how many, <laughs> we really didn't get into our autobiography biographies being yeah. in the screenplays but let's just say my my screenplays are are autobiographical all new screenplays are so sure. her first you know four or five are probably going to be you know doing that so it's really hard to have a tarantino write something that's a far afield and it's not sure. going to be you know on the nose what you've been living so it's for her to be able to mesh all, all of this together and to take Cyrano de Bergerac in this instance to have that you know classical grounding or, or to really allow her to deviate from her autobiography to be able to, to give her story the spine I, I think that was a smart move on her part yeah and and like I said before you know from up top I mean to have this much time in between uh, and to have something at the ready, uh, you know, is impressive. It's very impressive to me. Uh, she also is a very impressive person before she even made her first film. She's a MIT and Harvard grad. Oh, wow. You know, she's a very smart person. She wasn't even in film when she wrote uh, her first screenplay. Well, uh, I believe it. It's so structured. I mean, you, ha- you have to be on top of your game. Can you imagine how many index cards she used? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the interesting part. When she wrote her first screenplay, you know how she wrote it? In like three weeks in a class that on screenwriting. God she bless her. I mean, I God damn her. <laughs> I know, and then gets the movie made. So now, it took five years, but still. Right. But even uh, she's got to be an impressive person because she is someone who didn't have uh, the background that a lot of people do when they mm-hmm. get to make their first feature. She wrote this, uh, her first film. She directed her first film. Nobody wanted her to, <laughs> they all wanted to be like, Hey, you don't have the experience for this. And she, you know, put her foot down and made a very good, uh, film that got a lot of accolades and held true for this one as well. You know, got everything that she wanted. It's a personal story. She had a friend, I guess, like Paul, uh, back mm-hmm. in ninth, tenth grade era, uh, high school era. That you know, this kind of like this situation where people who wouldn't normally be friends uh, befriending each other. So she took two very personal stories, made two very great films uh, that advance certain genres. That you know aren't as smart and aren't as complex (laughs) and i i think she does an amazing job and i think it also is a great for the lgbtq community Mm -hmm. i would be very proud if i was in that community to to kind of like see the representation that she does with this film as well 
I think she's a star in the making. Um, I'm so impressed upon rewatch. Like I said, I think uh, her next budget is going to be like forty or fifty million dollars. And I, I seen this happen with Colin Trevorrow when he did, you know, Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah. And I was, I was like, wow. Talent scouts in terms of filmmaking, talent scouts go. I mean, the suits in the studios, they got to be going crazy over what she pulled off here, because it, it, it is Laureen Scafari. It is, you know, Martin Scorsese with the montage. But then. And, you know, that slowdown scene at the end, I'm, I'm not going to get into it as much, but she walks down from the restaurant. Mm-hmm. The way she moves the camera to follow the girl walking away, and then you get the two shot. And I, I was agaped when, when the two shot came. I was so beautiful what she did there. And then yeah. she moved the camera to, to show the background of the parking lot. And I was like, how is this so beautiful? Like, it's just an out- exterior of a restaurant, and the, the way she filmed that to, with the, the you know the obviously the money shot at the end of it all, you know underneath the bicycle showing yeah. the girl w- with that epiphany moment. I, I I I can't be more impressed with her instincts in this film, and and if she has that MIT background, I mean that explains. That. I mean she is brilliant. So that you want the savant to make yeah. <laughs> to, to make the a few movies, but to to, to to give her the money and just let her go with it. I mean you want the you want to get the person who's got the raw talent to do that. And and going back to our conversation about you know kind of blending the modern with the classic, she even has. Uh, those instincts working well, even in her casting. The mm. the three main leads here are nobodies. The, like, yeah. the, I was shocked. Usually, like you know, especially actors in their late teens, early twenties, and they're playing teenagers. Usually, yeah. they're coming off of some kind of project that they're through some kind of pipeline. That you know, maybe they went through the Disney Child pipeline, or they went through. You know, even obviously Netflix has their own pipeline now, which one of the characters uh, does fit that description, um, (laughs) which I'll get to in a second. But the three main leads, I mean, Leah Lewis was in Nancy Drew on CW for a little bit. That's nothing too crazy there. Daniel Dimer, is that how that's pronounced? Because I didn't actually look that up i probably should have dimer dimer Dimer, Dimer. best uh actor nominee at tribeca though you're right i mean she found this guy off the street and he doesn't have a lot on his imdb but here he is film festival nom the highest profile thing he did was one episode of the man in the high castle i mean jesus that's nothing (laughs) and then alexis lemire uh who plays aster a few tv movies here and there Like, nothing too crazy, but with that said, and obviously for how impressive that is, they also knew how to really flesh this cast out with a bunch of, you know, more impressive character actors that have been around for years. Uh, yes. be- between uh, Colin Chow, who plays Ellie's dad, uh, who was in the, the Matrix <laughs> sequels as Seraph, uh, where people might recognize him, uh, Becky Ann Baker who's actually married to Dylan Baker, didn't know that until I did my research. Uh, the teacher, right? As the yeah. teacher, right. Mrs. She was funny. Kesselshap. Yeah, uh, she was on Girls, Freaks, and Geeks. She's in Spider-Man 3 as Gwen Stacy's mother. Uh, so you have uh, her being around for a long time, uh, and Catherine Curtin, uh, who played uh, uh, Paul's mother in this one. Uh, I've watched her for years on Orange is the New Black, and she's in Stranger Things as well. So Netflix mm-hmm. definitely has her in the pipeline uh, for sure. And even as a, in a younger sense, Wolfgang Novogratz, uh, who plays Trig, 
who I thought was very good in here. Very played, funny. Played the played it pitch perfect. Great um, delivery. And he's he's now in the rom com <laughs> spectrum for Netflix because uh, he was in Sierra Burgess as a loser and the last summer. Uh, so he's now been in three Netflix quote not rom coms uh, in the past year or year and a half so he's definitely kind of uh kind of the the character actor version and he could probably do more i don't want to like pigeonhole him or anything but because he's got the looks <laughs> to do it and everything else but he's kind of one of those people uh that's kind of the 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 underside of the noah centineo you know like right there but can you know tends to be in a bunch of those things and kind of a netflix star in the making so, you know, what did you think of the cast? Because I yeah, was very impressed. They're very distinct. You have mm-hmm. the autobiographical lead with, with Ellie Chu. You have uh, this, you know, her counterpart with the Aster character is, you know, the uh, the opposite in terms of upbringing. You know, she's got that religious upbringing. And I, I like how this movie's not afraid, you know, to, to mix it up. It's not afraid to be sacrilegious, literally, in yeah. the plot. And I was like, Very amen to that. Early, too. I, yeah, I was, it was, I was, I, I dug that to the point, to the crescendo of, you know, literally saying again, you know, against the Bible verse at the end, that the most well-known Bible verse out there. I mean, I come from a Catholic school background myself, so I'm like, right. wow, I never thought about that. That, yeah, that is bullshit. <laughs> it's total bullshit. So I loved how she played off of that. And then, you know, all the cards in between, you know, major scene breaks and to have Ellie choose quote, love is messy. <laughs> love is not patient. Love is not kind. Yeah. You know, no, it, love is messy and it's bold and all these. I, I thought I dug that. And I usually get aggravated with the big love is this speeches like crazy stupid love drove me nuts with that like I, enough of this like I, I'm, I'm tired of listening to the eight-year-old kid tell me what love <laughs> is right <laughs> in this movie with emma stone and ryan gosling's charisma let's get away from this please but i think uh, in this movie it really works because these characters they they don't just earn you know one another. They don't just earn all the interactions between them, right? Because I think the the script is so smart weaponizing the exposition early, like the letter writing back and forth. Like you yeah. learn so much about the characters as they're just stating what they are, who they are, essentially. Right. But it's also the plot. I mean, that exposition as ammunition, ammunition, as I was trying to say. Yeah, that's a stupid screenwritery book thing, <laughs> but but it really works here because yeah. you learn so much about them. So when they have to really mix it up, I mean, there's a point in this movie where I squealed like I couldn't believe he kissed her. Right, <laughs> right. That happened. You get those rom com moments that can only happen in rom coms. Where, where you get gleeful or where, you know, it, you just get the butterflies in your stomach. I mean, the dates that are just so awkward, they're almost deliciously awkward. And, yeah. and you, you don't you don't disqualify the movie because of an awkward scene. No, you say, I had a date like that uh, years ago, a lifetime ago. Yeah. It's probably why I haven't gotten back out there. But no, <laughs> I, sure. I mean, you, you remember those times and you're like, Oh my God, you put a joke on the end of that. You made it all okay. Just like Marvel and Disney will yeah. laugh away the obvious objection, like like Mike and I talk about on our podcast or in smarter Oscar films where they don't let you sit in the awkwardness for too long. She's just got a knack for that. It happens time and again in this film. Yeah, it's a, like you said, it's a very impressive screenplay. 
it's well constructed and i even like i always love a good uh through line uh and that happens through these things to tie, tie things together and my favorite one of the whole script is the best part uh <laughs> scenario uh where the father obviously says it to kind of like you know when he's locked in hardcore on his classic films that he's trying mm-hmm. to do to avoid conversation as well uh to kind of live in his own world but have it pay off and mean something later just like the the music stuff paid off later and yeah. and and it, that's all tied into the same conversation all tied into the mother so the whole movie kind of has this shadowy influence of the mother throughout but it's not heavy-handed and it's not overt but it's definitely meaningful which is impressive to kind of blend those efforts um i'm also a person who kind of bow out or religion uh, early on and kind of went towards philosophy so it's kind of nice to you know see a movie lead with socrates and plato and <laughs> and 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 not let that just kind of slide you know it's it's the wink and the nod to like a shakespearean thought and then have a philosophy behind it while mixing in uh the religious uh themes throughout and kind of seeing the you know the play off of both of those throughout within the characters and just even in what's happening in the backdrop of that town so i i thought this was incredibly impressive and i i said to you uh i don't know if we made it to the pod but we were talking off air as far as 2020 goes this movie's high up there for me as far as what's been released and i don't know if anything to you stands out here you run a oscar podcast does anything to you stand out enough that it might have some legs later on? Uh, whether we get an Academy Awards or not, that the, that's a whole separate story that just came out. Uh, but, you know, uh, if everything goes through, uh, does anyone stand out for you? Or is this just, it's a nice film and we'll, we'll like it, but, uh, you know, it might not have more than that. I feel it's it's on the edge of something like an eighth grade or something where I could say, you know, it'll be one of those best original screenplay noms, or in this case, maybe a best adapted screenplay nom. Right. But I, I, I still think it's like, you know, it's points away from that. Unfortunately, I, I yeah. wish I could say, you know, even in a diluted year, which is, th- this is going to be inevitably, even if they, like we've been saying all along, postpone the Oscars for at least a month, maybe, maybe three or four right. and, and do something weird with the schedule. It's going to be a diluted year, but even in a diluted year, I'd be surprised. Is it going to be in my top 30 to where I would say, yeah, it should be in the top 10 in terms of screenplays. And, you know, but basically this seems more like a, you know, rookie of the year win or a yeah. best first film win. It's it's not her best first film, but an indie spirits kind of uh, movie. I, or at least I hope it would be like a Gotham Awards indie spirit kind of thing. I could totally see that happen, and especially in this year uh, where there's not a lot out there. But uh, overall composition's terrific. I just think uh, I just think it might get a little disqualified for its genre, unfortunately. Like we've mm. seen plus one, we've seen uh, the last year's Netflix movie with Ali Wong. Always, always be my maybe. Always yeah. be my maybe. Simpatico there came up with it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can edit yourself out and just let me do the talking there. But no, I think uh, <laughs> I think the rom coms have a have an uphill climb, unfortunately, these days, yeah. unless you have that. 
you know, cast of British thespians pulling it off. Right. You know, like a four weddings and a funeral. It's, sure. it's hard to have a bunch of newcomers crash the Oscar party in that way. So yeah. I don't. I just don't think people will have this on their radar. But I think at the end of the day. Yeah, the indie film people are going to be like, oh my God, remember how good that movie is? Let's rewatch it. And then when you rewatch this thing, you see all the craft and you see all the uh, the symmetry and the storytelling, like you said uh, before with the screenplay. I mean, there's so many callbacks yeah. with this movie uh, from beginning to end. I mean, the the end scene, the, the, the walkout scene, the drop the mic scene is... You know, the the movie scene that they were watching earlier of the guy chasing the train and she was like, That's so stupid. I can't believe she yeah. she would be so stupid to be crying right now, and that's what happens at the end of the movie. It's ironic, it's dramatic irony to the T. It's it's beautiful. And even more to the point, uh, in that scene you kinda get the other passengers in the train at the very, very last frames mm. kinda like having that longing that you know, three mile stare out the window trying to kinda search out that is a bookend to what was discussed the in opening the, speech in, in the, the opening animation speech. yeah absolutely which the animation don't sleep on that either that was you know something that uh they sought out to do from the start that was not an afterthought that was something that uh you know Wu wanted to do from the beginning uh and and they nailed it uh, and it works very well it, it doesn't it's not a jarring opening that way. It, 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 I think it really sets the tone for what they wanted this movie to be in terms of intelligence, respectful, uh, you know, and, and using complex themes to kind of not be just another rom-com or not well, even just to be another coming-of-age movie. For them to go at themes this big with a quote-unquote kids movie or quote-unquote rom-com, yeah, that, that's what elevates it, obviously. And Cyrano de Bergerac being the subject matter and that through line, you, you get the classic tale as well. I, I do think you're, you're, you're hitting on something here and you're talking me into wanting to, to pitch this movie more. And <laughs> yeah. it, it, let's be honest, it's in my top 10 right now. It's probably going to be a, up a, a point or two. I might It might be in my top five after the rewatch. It, I kind of slept on it, though, after watching the first time because the scenes you remember from this movie are kind of the goofier ones. Like mm. the stupid football scene, which is, all right, she knows shit about football. Okay, fine. Sure. Yeah. I forgive her. But, you know, the, the goofy first dates, you know, you kind of remember some of those scenes. You don't remember the hot spring scene as well. You don't remember, you know, how how intricate all of the, the montage is when they're going back and forth with the letters. Rewatching that now, I'm throwing names like Scorsese out there. I think it's it's really well crafted, and it probably should be. It probably should be higher on everybody's list at the moment. You know, where does it land at the end of the day? I mean, there's going to be another 50 movies. We think, we hope. I I don't know. Yeah, right. But it it should be it should be on people's watch lists. I mean, and this you know this podcast is doing a good deed getting this movie <laughs> out there. Let's spread the word. This is an awesome movie. Everybody should yeah. watch this. Everybody should like this. I mean, there's, it's one of the, my father recommended it to me, folks. Did you I get still that find that before? wild. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's <laughs> Again, awesome, I mean, my dad's a good guy. He's not a prejudiced person, but I, I'm just saying, why would he recommend this silly little rom com from Netflix to me? And I immediately watched it the day later because I was like, why that? hell is he recommending this oh right. it's a great movie yeah i mean kudos to him because uh, you know notwithstanding obviously any of the things like you were saying oh he's a good person he doesn't hold a grudge against any of these type of people or anything 
he could simply just not want to watch a teen movie. I mean, like right. that wouldn't be bad at all. Like the, he's a grown man. Uh, you I know, would expect maybe, that. I would right. not expect my father to watch Ten Things I Hate About You. I would not expect him to right. watch Four Weddings and a Funeral. Even he's not a rom com guy. But yeah. he, for him to recommend this to me, I was shocked. Yeah, and and kudos again to, to Woo for kind of not making it a very slick, you know, kind of uh, more more in the vein of some of the other Netflix rom-coms right. and, and also kudos to Netflix for being continuing to a prop, very personal stories, mm. uh, B, uh, kind of seek out people with, you know, pedigrees that want to tell these personal stories to kind of try to get that mix together to, to get something great to pop out of that. And also to, to kind of be hands offish enough to know, we brought you here for a reason. Do what you do and, and let people kind of, you know, bring these things to the table to make these things not seem so cookie cutter. You know, I know uh, I've heard enough other podcasts that, you know, kind of treat Netflix movies as kind of a blanketed thing. But mm-hmm. I think especially over the last couple of years, movies like this do pop up where it doesn't look like the netflix effect it doesn't look it doesn't have that slick polished look and it doesn't have that you know super fast you know cut style that some of the quite frankly i think they're lesser films that they've released in the last few years do right you know uh, when they have people who they they trust completely to to make these movies you get a wide variety of looks and styles and everything else. I mean, just even last year, obviously, with what was nominated, they got the most nominations. I mean, they're they're all very diverse. I mean, you know, whether it's you know, a Dolomite look is my name does not look like a marriage story, you mm-hmm. know. So they they run the gamut, uh, you know, in terms of what they provide now, and I'm glad to find a movie like this that looks like an indie film. But shakes out with a lot of, you know, people who are going to come to the table for all the different labels and all the different subsets that I laid out when we were first talking. Andrew, if you had to guess the budget on this, if I had to oh. guess the budget on this, I w- we would both probably pick over, pick whatever the over would be. We would pick, like, probably. I would guess, like, this looks like a $50 million film, and I would guess they made this for under 10. I mean, oh, yeah. It, the the it's pristine the way it looks. I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And, it's, it, and they're making like this dreary midwestern town look this good. Yeah. So it's, it's so she just she's a star. I, I stick to it. I, I think she's a rising star. And you might be absolutely right. We may come back and watch this movie two or three more times come Oscar season, and I, I might be like, why isn't this movie getting more pub? I know. Because Forrest Gump can run out of the end zone in a terrible football scene and still win Best Picture. Why can't yeah. this have a nonsensical football scene and still win? So It's true. <laughs> I mean, there are some, uh, and we can get into more specifics now because uh, I think we've kind of covered the, the basis of the movie uh, mm-hmm. and what our feelings are. But there are some wild scenes in here that I think, uh, you know, you just need it because there is some hokey kind of comedy going on here throughout the film. Um, but there are some scenes that are a little more cringy and uh, some on purpose, some not like, obviously you're alluding to the football scenes or, um, that talent show. Oh my God. Uh, like 
it's it's bizarre it's a bizarre setup uh a little bit like but it's that small town classic I hated, look charm i hated every single person in that audience right? absolutely hate like just flexing muscles like really just hate with all of my being because um, yeah. i'm watching these people i care about go up there and and you know bear their souls right. sing with the guitar after the piano doesn't work yeah and then ugh, ugh, just a dis- despicable audience but she won them over which i buy yeah. at the same time because they were sheep they were sheep that the <laughs> one classic rock song that played for one minute long right they got up i mean when you program a talent show you program the rock group to sing last i'm sure you don't have the you know the shy girl who has to come up and, and sing a piano and do a little piano ditty yeah. after the rock band that's absurd but it, it you know you again you forgive the movie a few of its flaws because the scene paid off so well yeah i mean uh i would assume that all these people are uh, that we know in the movie are all seniors uh of that time you know they're all in class uh kind of in the beginning uh maybe not paul but you know the i was wondering you know why only two of the characters had to be in this but also just in general like um who makes an entire class have to do uh a talent uh, for an entire like it's a mandatory thing uh, for that, teacher. I was like, "Yes, it's very evil." It's well, just like, like not everybody the... is creative. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> just like they're making the football team run lap, like laps. I, we haven't run <laughs> longer than 106 yards, right? And we're we're a top five team in the state every year, top ten team in the state, whatever. Yeah. But for for the last like 15 years, and we we never have the kids run distance that's like the worst training for football unless you're like in 1970s iron man bullshit everybody yeah. <laughs> goes one way now it doesn't matter you don't have the kids runs laps they're just gonna lose weight they need the weight exactly and especially like i didn't see anyone and now this could speak to why they're a terrible football team but i didn't see any people <laughs> who kind of distinguished in body styles and i definitely i don't know if i'm putting that kid i even as a backup tight end uh, i'm not putting him on the line i don't know especially tight ends T- the tight end who's also a gunner by the way which is absurd yeah you don't have the weird. tight end play gunner but <laughs> you're you're getting me to, to to hammer this movie right now somehow all the way through yeah, that's right. I mean, th- there are some excruciating scenes. And I think the, the the dates are the, are the worst part of the movie. But then again, the payoffs with Ellie, yeah. th- like when she, I mean, it meant so much for her to realize that she cared for this girl so uh, uh, as much as she did in the second date scene, for instance, when she leaves them to talk. She, and she basically says, I wash my hands of this. Uh, you know, now you guys are connected and I'm going to be okay with that. Right. I mean, it, it, there's so many sayings that come to mind. I mean, if you love something, let it go, right? I mean, all those sayings, you know, you don't want to smother. I mean, th- the maturity for this character, I, I can't get over it. I wish I was that mature now, never mind then. Oh, sure. And, you know, there was one fly did notice and I don't know, it's not that big, and obviously, because otherwise I wouldn't be talking so glowingly about the movie, but in their kind of back and forth between being a religious town, a lot of people all being at the church and mm. kind of dealing with the, you know, the the lesbian issues and themes in this story and some of the conversations that happen, the, the one scene where Paul tries to kiss her, mm. kiss Ellie, 
And My then, God. And then, the you know, obviously Aster comes in and then it sets that whole thing up and and kind of, you know, her kind of almost coming out to Paul in, in this moment. Uh, for him to say it's a sin you're going to hell and i understand the line read is kind of like almost a realization not a commentary he says it with like a very sad countenance i guess you yeah. could say I mean, he he says it sadly like this is what i it's been told to me my whole life sure it's almost a character assassinating moment for him obviously they spend the rest of the script redeeming him for having said that so yes. it, it, it works so again, I mean, you have to go highs and lows. You have to show people screwing up and yeah. people saying the wrong thing in a movie because people do that in real life. So I, I, I'm happy. I'm happy with a movie where you see the ugly side, where where it's not too, it's not afraid of showing characters just re- give them a chance to redeem themselves, and that, and that's exactly what they did with him. Yeah, uh, and I had no problem with any of that. My issue came through with uh, him saying that while also being a person who finds no problem in dating Aster beside Triggs back the entire time. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of moral ambiguity in this movie. (laughs) That's where I was going with that. (laughs) The teacher is okay with this girl plagiarizing every paper in the the class. (laughs) And she's literally throwing books at the girl saying, everybody's getting Fs now because you're not writing their papers for them. And and, and, and she should be fired immediately, of course. Uh, there's, There's all kinds of stuff like that throughout this film. but. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to. I'm not here to blow the whistle. But there's a lot of moral ambiguity in real life. Working with you know kids of all ages, or you're going to realize this. You, your kids are five and three. You're going to come up against some you know situations where it's just gonna, you know maybe you write the kids paper at some point or maybe you do the kids project at some point i'm not saying my mother did all my school projects <laughs> but she did some of them when i was in school <laughs> it's inevitable and yeah. and and you end up like especially because we're in the uh, the daycare period or so you could see some really amazing stuff come through and it's like so the kid who could barely put his handprint uh, from and from paint to picture, uh, did this sculpture that you just brought in? I'm gonna guess no, but you know, good for you to being uh, unemployed at the moment. So that you know, these try hard parents uh, who have way more time on their hands than me. Uh, but it's and- true though. It's the that's the yeah. whole point of it. I mean, it's it's a true fact about growing up that everybody's not gonna toe the line every second of the time. Yeah, absolutely. So the movie's uh, honest. Yeah, no, and and that's the appeal. I think it, it it's it has a, a lot to say. It mm. it presents itself through a, a myriad of themes. It has style. It has, you know, uh, great dialogue. Uh, and 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 like you said, uh, the the modern and classic back and forth. The the religion with the philosophy. The there's a lot of the you know a lot of things battling at odds while just having a simple story of just someone who's a little bit different trying to figure out life, trying to figure out people uh, when they already are behind the eight ball, you know, having uh, an immigrant story and uh, a a parent who passed away there. There's enough here. There's enough meat on the bone to enjoy this. And I'm glad you uh, got to also do the rewatch very 
uh, little times when I do this, I'm usually the idiot who watched it like two, three times, and somebody's like, "Yeah, I, I, I watched it," uh, you know, <laughs> like getting that back and forth. But I think definitely on the rewatch, it still holds yeah. up. Um, so, and that's the mark of of a truly good script. That I'm not sitting here tearing it apart, saying it went down notches for me on the rewatch. No, you understand motivations, and I think that's the biggest thing with characters and with with having an ensemble that really works. You understand all these kids' motivations. You understand the father's motivation. It's it not in the realm of melodrama like so many of these movies go into. Even like 1950s romances, like I can't understand. I, I watched Belgravia the other day. Like <laughs> right. I can't believe these two characters are in love after having three pleasant conversations. That does not equal love. It's absurd. No, and yet. We've had three pleasant conversations. We should get married, shouldn't we? Of course we should. Yeah, let's let's take the whole plot this way. It's sure. absurd. And and but this movie, it's 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 based in realism, and you get that sense from the very start of the movie. It's this beautiful animated thing about longing, right? This big animated sequence with the flower, etc. And then Ellie Chu tells you who she really is for the rest of that opening monologue. She's like, "No, this is not a love story." that's all bullshit essentially and she gives her opinion that's obviously going to be changed later on right i just thought i thought that's brilliant the title cards all the title cards in between sequences you you literally have sart hell as other people at one point at the downward point of the script i laughed at that because yeah you know obviously this is the this is the obligatory scene where they're having to do that downward uh, you know but it that downward trajectory, I should say, but but it's funny, and 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 then you have one joke after another where she's bringing you back. So she's really got a, a, a she's really got a sense for it. But anyway, my point is, <laughs> it all builds up to Ellie Chu's quote. Ellie Chu is on the title card at the end of the film, which I just thought was brilliant. Yeah. Here's this kid quoting other people. You know, it's a metaphor for your schooling. You're learning all this shit from other people. At the end of the movie, she is 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 uh is making her statement on what love is and you could see her building to that it just doesn't come out of nowhere she quotes when they're you know on their back lying in the in the pot in the hot springs there she says gravity is matter's response to loneliness and the other girl's like who said that and she goes i don't know but it's like she's getting her own voice out there slowly but surely until she, you know, stands up to the whole congregation, the whole town, in essence, and, and basically rewrites the Bible, which I thought was just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So that this movie really is very ambitious. All right. So you are a man who loves your grades. So I would be, uh, you know, I would be doing a disservice to my listeners <laughs> if I did not ask you. Bottom line. Where did you grade this, especially now that you've watched it twice? Where did I grade it? I graded it as a B plus 87. Looking at my list right now, it was sixth uh, on the year. Okay. I think I, I, and I have 88s as my two and three. I think I would put this as an 89. It's probably my number two on the year. So I got Netflix, Crip Camp, Netflix, the half of it, my one, two now on the year with never rarely, sometimes always is my third pick. Amazing. And, wow. But but here's the thing, though, uh, from your sentiment earlier about awards and all those things. I definitely I am in lockstep with you, sir, that this feels almost like and I know we always uh, somehow bring it up because I love bringing it up. Uh, but uh, High Flying Bird, when I liked 
an earlier on yeah. March release date, I believe, in 2019. And it just didn't have the legs to propel all the way throughout the year but it did end up getting i believe either a gotham uh nomination uh or yeah and possibly even indie spirit but i think just gotham and uh you know at least it got recognized in some way because i was like wow this is one of my favorites of the year and it just didn't get to you know the likes of uh, it was also an incredible year in film but you know it didn't get into that higher echelon even for the netflix releases and i feel like this one because we have coming up the five bloods spike lee uh that trailer dropped and it looks impressive and i hope uh it pays off uh because we desperately need this in this type of year uh and then yeah we got mank we got uh you know uh, a Hillbilly Elegy. I'm mispronouncing that on purpose because of my co-host. But yeah, <laughs> you got a lot of stuff. I, I wrote down. Yeah, like Ryan Murphy's got a couple Netflix. of projects. Uh, we, you know, we kind of. We, it's amazing when we did the the preview thing that this was yeah. the the year of the musicals, and yet. Uh, one of the biggest ones, the one that I of course predicted might be the bigger story of it all, if it had the goods, in the heights, gets blown to to 2021. I've been devastated twice at the movies moving. Once was within the Heights when that moved off of June into next year. I was like, oh, don't do that to me. And then, and then second time was last night in Soho. Just yeah. got moved yesterday from September to 2021 because they can't finish the post-production. Those are devastating. I I did want to ask you, though, back to the half of it. Sure. Andrew, you, had, you were paying attention to the top tens, right? Like, I was searching for this movie today, and... I like I'm going through one list after another. It was it's been off my queue for a while, right? Because I mm. forgot about it. Yeah, I didn't necessarily program a rewatch, and I didn't leave it on my queue. So I'm looking at what I've watched. There's like a rewatch thing. I can't find it there. It's not in my Netflix original movies, and I know the algorithm will take things off, right? Yeah. But where has this been on the top tens? I haven't been paying attention to the top tens. Are people still clicking on this movie? You think? Um, it's because it's been a few weeks now. It. It was holding steady for that first week or two. It yeah. was it was staying in the top ten, uh, like right after extraction started to calm down. Mm-hmm. I think you started to see this, and unfortunately, uh, was it dangerous lies that lifetime looking film uh, that they had come out there that thriller. Uh, you know, that I got was, through like 20 minutes. I couldn't go any further on that. I came and press play. I'm not even there yet. So, but you're it's better rough. than me, and I have a Netflix podcast. So, you know, <laughs> th- th- there's been a few of these movies, and we disagree on one in particular that we'll have to talk off air about. But the uh, <laughs> there's a few movies that I started doing like 20 minutes and then just kind of gave up. Um, but you know, this movie uh, is. At a at the time of year, like you were saying, you, you're putting it to number two. I recently did kind of a top three or four of myself uh, that somebody was asking, and mm-hmm. I put this solidly right there too in that top three, two, three, four that I've watched this year. Uh, and you know, obviously, you know the the Oscar race doesn't really start until September, so you know things change, and obviously we have a very fluid situation with what's even going to come out. So it's going to be interesting uh, for yes, what's coming. Yeah. Plus, I, I would like to remind the listeners um, <laughs> of where we were last year where, right. guess what? Nobody was impressed by May. Nobody was like, this is an amazing year. In fact, most high-end 
film podcasts that I listen to were like, uh, this is a sucky year. And then so it, by year's end, they were like, uh, yeah. this year is amazing. Here's how that happened. And we were talking in the pre-show and it, it dawned on me now. Like we had two years in a row where Get Out was an Oscar, bona fide Oscar, best picture contender, Black Panther, bona fide best picture contender in February and March, right? So quarter one, best picture contenders come out. And everybody at this time last year, you know, we're looking at Rocket Man coming out. Us is not necessarily gonna gonna blow the doors off like Get Out did. Apollo Eleven, you have a documentary, you have Captain Marvel, VFX, Avengers Endgame. I think everybody was just determined to say, all right, we're not putting the we're not giving this the Lord of the Rings treatment. It's not on that level, even though I think it's a, a hell of a movie. I loved Avengers Endgame, but it wasn't gonna get, you know, uh it wasn't gonna get Oscars, it was gonna get People's Choices Awards, you know. Right. We knew we had Toy Story Four, we knew we had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out in June and July. I think like a book smart was overlooked, kind of like this movie in a way, but your high flying birds yeah. wind up, you know, getting, they, they wind up getting your indie spirit, your, uh, your her smells, your her, <laughs> that came out wrong. That's anyway, th- that movie's going to, you know, show up just like the invisible man and get Moss in the conversation, but it's not going to get her, get her home. I just think you had quarter one movies, the, you know, two years before last year where people were used to saying, okay, I have a safety net. At least I can love get out at the end of the year. Sure. This year is crazy. Like where we don't have a bona fide best picture nomination at all like burning cane won tribeca last year burning cane shows up at the indie spirits it doesn't show up anywhere else so that's why i'm saying like the half of it won the same award it's probably in that realm yeah and the half of it's my number two right now so where does where does the oscars like come from everything got moved off of uh the quarter two like quarter two is bereft until Thank God for Spike Lee, and thank God for what Netflix is doing. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just don't know what they're, what they're uh, signaling with that move. Are mm. they signaling that it's going to be a crowd pleaser? Because last year at this time, Adam Sandler's Murder Mystery came out on June fourteenth. Right. Yeah. So is it just a crowd pleaser action movie, or is it a bona fide Oscar hopeful? Which I'm hoping it is. I mean, the last few Spike movies have been in the conversation, and and and, and Black Klansman, which premiered at Cannes the last time Spike Lee was involved with the Cannes Film Festival, it got its start there. The Five Bloods was supposed to get its start at Cannes, just yeah. like the last one. So. I mean, that's another big, you know, loss in this equation. I mean, the Cannes Film Festival, they have tabbed so many future Oscar nominees, future Oscar winners. Last year at this time, everybody knew, maybe not everybody, but everybody in the awards race knew that Parasite was going to be a, at least a Best International Film contender after its Palme d'Or, right? Les Miserables, Portrait of Lady on Fire, you saw that clash happening. Everybody knew Antonio Banderas was great in Pain and Glory. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiered there. Rocketman, Force Sama. All those movies you knew were going to be there at the end. Because the way it p- played at Cannes and every single film critic was all over it. Sure. This year, the Cannes F- Film Festival is gone. We don't have Black Klansmen, Cold War, Capernaum, Shoplifters like 2018. We don't have all those movies I mentioned like 2019 uh, on our, on everybody's you know list in, in pen. It's all in pencil right now, so yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, a lot of the, the international box office or like the international uh, award contenders usually come out around this time or at least we have like a good sense of what's going to have some some legs uh and obviously you know we miss south by so even like some 
crowd pleaser stuff that was there is sure. not out yet. Like long shot was a big deal coming out. Uh, that was last year as well. Right. Uh, sure. And you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. So you don't even have even some of the popcorn stuff. Uh, but you don't typically good. get your Oscar, uh, your obvious Oscar movies from South by or Tribeca. You'll get them from Sundance, right? And this year we got a few. We got The Father, we got Minari, we got Crip Camp, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. We got a few, and we get a we get a few from Sundance every year. But I was even looking at Sundance when we were talking on our Netflix preview, and I was like, Sundance seems thin this year. Like it, I was wondering, it did. Harkening back to the days where Call You Call Me by Your Name and and Get Out and all these movies were getting their start there. And I mean, you can go back on the Sundance list. It, it didn't just be the documentary features that got their, you know, their, the start of their campaign at Sundance. It used to be many more films. And, and I'm wondering if because of the diluted Sundance field, like where is the film festival that's going to announce the arrival of the next 20 Oscar films? I mean, because by TIFF, you kind of know the field and yeah. TIFF happens in September. Like this year, are we going to get that? I have no idea. And typically, you know half the field, or at least a, a, a third of the field after can, at least by buzz. Right yeah. now, we are we are flying blind, my friend. Yeah, it, it's definitely different. I mean, uh, Netflix is kind of staying true, though, a little bit. Uh, that's mm. why I guess maybe you can throw up a flag on the Spike Lee thing, but who knows? Uh, you know, may, that might be a quarantine move for all we know. But I hope know, so because that means it's good. It has the goods, and they're basically looking for more eyes on it. Right. That would that would be that would be exciting. Yeah, that would be especially because they have a captive audience right now, so they want to take mm. advantage. But the they're kind of playing the same playbook that they did, you know, in previous years. Especially even if you want to just go last year, you know, they usually in January and February it's very difficult out of the gate. Because they yeah. don't want to take the shine off of the <laughs> award contenders that they already have working on the previous year. Like when Roma was going, you didn't want to stop the momentum by yeah, having you want to be out. you want to be the Mike Mike and Oscar podcast in January and February, and the rest <laughs> of the year, especially during quarantine, I want to be the Nomcast. Or everybody right. wants to be the Nomcast right now. Sure, <laughs> but to your point about like Sundance. What you get from Netflix usually in February, March, and April is a lot of the stuff that they brought to Sundance and didn't really know. They didn't get a solid reaction or it's or it's something that they didn't think was going to be awards coming out of Sundance. Uh, so they, they put out things like Lost Girl or Miss Americana sure. or Horse Girl or you know a lot of girls yes exactly uh so you know and but they had bigger things that they either acquired or had in the mix that haven't been released yet from sundance but basically all the ones that they thought are questionable they're like okay this is the time to release it and then they'll release other stuff like uncorked where they didn't know what audience maybe that would have had or mm -hmm. whatever but they also play their playbook of having uh, the uh, to all the uh, boys I've loved before sequel come out to make sure they still have the eyeballs. Uh, so they usually start heavy TV and then the films start to come slowly and then all of a sudden they start to really pick it up and then they'll have summer ish spring summer blockbustery stuff. You're starting to see it with extraction and you're yeah. and you're gonna you know have a you know a Spike Lee film come out. You know, so they're playing the playbook they usually do 
uh, and they'll have sprinkle some documentaries that they think are very good in there. Uh, you know, we didn't see Dick Johnson is dead yet, which that, uh, you know, by the response of Sundance might be better than even Crip Camp is getting. Wow. Uh, you know, obviously becoming ha- uh, the Michelle Obama doc uh, got a lot of eyeballs, too. Uh, that Strong, was in the- nutritious movie watching. Yeah. Amen to, and, and God bless the Obamas. I mean, we agree with their politics, but yeah, we reviewed that one. We liked it a lot. Yeah, and, and that one feels like a quarantine move up, if I ever seen one, because it's oh, like, really? oh, I mean, I don't know for certain, but I mean, considering the times we're in, considering the 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 material, the the source uh, of where everything's coming, and that it it's, makes sense, it would make a lot of sense to kind of look like. Remember when things were simpler? <laughs> you yeah, know, no marketing. There yeah. was literally no marketing. Two weeks before, all right, here's a trailer. It was a secret doc, right? And this is also, you know, the same company who did Crip Camp. So you wouldn't think mm-hmm. they would put two things back to back so close on the same platform either. True. So it felt like a move up. But, you know, but that kind of speaks to where we're at right now anyway. We're just trying to, Netflix is like, we have this audience. Let's see what sticks, what is ready. And they claim that everything coming out for the rest of the year is ready. So anything huh. that we were. Uh, anticipating is not getting moved from from all understanding from the communications coming out of Netflix. So it's a huge list. It is a huge like, list. Films that we thought would contend when we talked about them on that preview show. But I'm even looking at some additions that we didn't talk about. Like when did you guys get the Midnight Sky? George Clooney uh, astronaut movie. Like when did yeah. that happen? I'm, I'm looking at that. Uh, Over the Moon. You got another the, animated film. I, you were there, talking about. Yeah. The Willoughby's being why? Like, why is the Willoughby's coming out so so early? Well, Over the Moon's coming out that's later, why. so they're yep. That's that's brilliant. And then you know, I almost forget about Rebecca. You know, you forget about the <laughs> classic Best Picture winning. You know, the remake of that. Yeah, and Re- Rebecca with Army Hammer and uh, Lily James, Kristen Scott, Scott Thomas, and, and of course you got your heavy hitters like Mank and the the, the Ryan Murphy film, and uh, of course. Uh, you know, Hillbilly Elegy with Ron Howard hoping to get someone without an Oscar of those actresses. <laughs> yeah. Finally get them their Oscar, but we'll see. Yeah. And I know obviously they have a, a, you know, a couple of comic book related or superhero related movies coming out very soon too. So they're kind of starting their summer thoughts uh, with that as well. Oh, cool. I'm surprised that I wouldn't, well, actually, let's put it this way because they have been iffy with release dates and how far in advance they tell them but i wouldn't be shocked if they move rebecca to the summer and try to well that's what i was going to ask you next like which one could they bump forward so rebecca might be one one of those we're just so craved we're just so craved for like a an old school yarn like uh, yeah well plus it's the genre type too that can kind of play at that time unless they're going to hold it to like october or something to kind of try to you know, be amongst that that kind of thriller-ish um, stories or any of that. October gets crowded, but it you're right. You get thriller-ish in, in October. That happens all the time in October. Just uh, this year, we got Taylor Sheridan movies happening in October, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're that's interesting that you'd say like so the so the old school film, the old school classic film with the new school cast and the sexy cast with Army Hammer and Lily James. Yeah, I could see that playing July, August, especially yeah. if we're all still stuck at home. Yeah. And and one movie, you know, I'll I'll 
say it on here even though it's the the competition but big time adolescence knocked me over i'm yeah, interested really to like see that. if uh king of staten island's gonna knock that down a peg because you can't have these both existing at the same time <laughs> they're gonna kind of eat each other up uh but for yeah. awards yes i mean yes. for his yeah, star yeah. power I oh mean, it's just yeah building yeah. Between that and SNL still trying to plug along, I mean, his star is has never been bigger. Like the only way he could have done it was, uh, you know, trying to go from his old playbook of having a, you know, a big time romance in quarantine to where he can be sharing pictures like Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas, uh, you know, trying to make your star even bigger even in quarantine. Uh, again, it's just it's 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 an it's an honest move for him, though. I mean, and just like yeah. we talked about with uh, Alice Wu, autobiographical early. Yeah. If, if your career is that way, you're honest with people and say, hey, here's who I am. I'll dramatize it the best I can. But, I mean, it makes sense. You write what you know best early, and you don't have necessarily have the craft to really deviate from that. But that's okay, because Judd Apatow is used to taking, you know, the obscure, com- not the obscure comedian, but the comedian on the cusp, like yeah. Seth Rogen from a Steve Carell to an Amy Schumer and blowing them up with a great movie about and, and featuring that comedian. So that, that this totally makes sense. I was a little, or let's put it this way. The PVOD, the future of PVOD is going to depend not necessarily on Trolls World Tour. It's going to depend on something like the King of Staten Island, I, I think. You know, because you're going to see what else can play and what else can make money. Especially if we keep seeing things get pushed back and pushed back, you might see a summer of you know, these kind of like mid budget, you know, kind of darlings that some, you know, have some cachet, either a big name or a big director, you know, might just all of a sudden start cropping up if they start to see the numbers go because universal got big numbers back off of trolls world tour and they, you know, are not going to slow down. You know, this is uh king of Staten Island is also NBC universal, correct? The king of Staten Island is, it is, and I'm looking at the rest of the slate. I wrote down everything and what Universal's doing. I mean, they have stuff like Candyman. Uh, they're probably saving that, but like News of the World is Universal's next oh, wow. big Oscar yeah, movie, that's but that's December. that's December 25th. Yeah. So I'm trying to looking through the the list here. Focus feed. Oh, Stillwater. I mean, Stillwater would mm. that be a bump up? If they saw an opportunity to make some money, otherwise you got well, especially because you have another Matt Damon project later in the year, right? The, uh, I don't the Ridley don't Scott what else film with uh, Ben. Oh, Affleck. the Last Duel. Yeah, yeah, and, it's Adam December twenty fifth as well. Yeah, you're you're right on. I mean, they're coming out with the High Note Focus Features, which is owned by NBC Universal. So they're coming out with the High Note on May 29th. So that's another test balloon. Yeah, I mean they're 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 putting out a bunch of various test balloons. I don't necessarily know. If they're banking on Emma and the Invisible Man and those movies telling telling them as much as something that just is released fresh for the first time, you know, I, th- right. I think that tells them a little more. I know Congillionaire on June nineteenth. That's still holding that date. Obviously, it's probably not happened much in theaters. Will Focus Features do the PVOD for Congillionaire, which came out of Sundance, young filmmaker that uh, you know got a lot of buzz from there. So hey, those are all Oscar. The, the, all these movies I bolded in my humongous list <laughs> of films that I'm trying to sift through right now. Yeah, that's why I'm stuttering like. Uh, like 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 uh, our president Barack used to. That's why I try to compare myself when I when I flub my lines because I, I you he used to search 
in his countenance and how he how he used to speak. But yeah, but you have the grace uh, to pull it off too, sir. So so <laughs> arrogant, so ridiculously out of delusional. But yeah, you're right. Uh, oh, come play was the other one that just got moved. Okay. So if they try their hand at horror again, that's a focus fe- features horror movie set for October that you might see get moved up. They're not going to move Halloween Kills or or whatnot. But PVOD. I mean, I, I, I I'm sure you're not sweating in your you know your seat there for about PBOD <laughs> because right. for for fifteen dollars a month you get a whole library of you know thousands a hundred thousand movies or whatever TV shows Netflix has got right now yeah I mean and that's the whole thing like HBO Netflix Max is, and the Peacock is more of the see what happens sweat than PBOD y- yeah you guys have. I mean, you're the you're Walmart basically. You're the Walmart of entertainment. You give people ten libraries for the price of you know one movie ticket a month. I mean, that's can hard we at least to be reckon. Target to try to <laughs> get a little bit higher class? But no, you're no. Walmart. God you're, damn it! Sorry, you're almost at, you're almost Target. If you win an Oscar, then you're Target. Can we be Costco something? Because we always if go you, big. <laughs> if you win, if you win an Oz, well, if you win it, you, Costco, you might be Costco. That might be the move. All right, I feel better. I'll give about you Costco. <laughs> well, I like Walmart too. You don't shop at Walmart still? On the occasion, but I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't want to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the quarantine, it, I've never had more pause of going into a place than Walmart. Really? No, I've I've had good luck there. I mean, it's cheap, and yeah, you, I don't buy their clothes but i then again i sure. don't you know my grandpa used to buy their clothes i used to take them out on the weekends and for whatever reason that's where he wanted to go was walmart i just wouldn't be shop. shocked if someone told me that covid in america started at a Star- walmart <laughs> i'd be i'd be like yeah no that makes sense either that or florida or a walmart in florida i'd be like yeah i get it i get it now that that's that's where I land, and I'm sure uh, I I hope I have fans uh, that reach outside of my uh, my particular area. But I apologize uh, for I, at least I know I have one fan in Florida, and but she's a transplant, so hopefully she gets uh, where I'm going with that uh, with that humor. Uh, that's great. Uh, so yeah, I I don't know. Usually I know more. At this point of the year, and I don't know enough, so it was it was it was fun to come on today, and and have this little extra Oscar segment at the end, this little extra movie calendar se- calendar segment at the end. But everything is still in flux. I mean, if the COVID numbers go up again, you know, then movie going is just flat out not going to happen. And I know drive-ins are chasing the technology right now yeah. to make it work at a higher level. So I mean, maybe we'll be going to you know Southington for us. I know. I think it's the closest drive-in for tenant. Yeah, I think one or two in the whole state. Yeah, so I mean, I could take a few road trips, but like I'm not going to do my every night movie going. You know the way I I always did for for drive-ins every night. That's not happening. So yeah, especially Some, I, you. Something's got to give. You can't get me to go to the concession stand be- out of fear of a just the concession stand alone and b uh, having to use the bathroom in a movie sounds terrifying uh, in a drive-in scenario. I will say if Ellie Chu is working there, I would ha- I would trust that high school kid. For sure. I'm not trusting Paul Munsky to clean my seat. No. So to, to talk about theater. So then in half these kids you watch at a movie theater, 
they look like they want to be anywhere else. Like, have you ever walked up to a concession stand at a movie theater where there's like eight kids talking, mm-hmm. and and I and for some reason you're waiting and you're waiting an obnoxious amount of time, <laughs> and I'm not the jerk that just says, "Hey, you know," because I'm I'm yelling at kids the middle of my every day with the high school coaching right. after work. So I mean, that's the middle of my every day. It's like my siesta. So at night when you know. I go to a movie theater. I don't want to yell at high school kids anymore no. I don't want to tell them to serve me. So it's this always this awkward game of chicken where I'm waiting there. One time, I'll be honest with you, I just walked away because it's just like a, a group of five high school kids oh, yeah. who are just lazy as all could be. And they're not lazy, but they're just bored, bottom line. Sure. So those kids are supposed to you know, fend me from a pandemic? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't trust them. Oh, trust me. I worked at a movie theater for three and a half years. Like I get the, I get every side of that coin, and yet uh, right. I don't care anymore. I'm that old man now. Let's do this. Let's get this done. <laughs> Give me my popcorn. Let me go and watch my movies. Exactly. And I hope we get to do that soon. Uh, it'd be not, it'd be a nice thought. You know, ten, yes, tenants holding on for dear life. It's uh, gonna move. It's gonna I, move. If LA doesn't open, I mean, LA's already said they're not gonna open. They extended so how can their it... stay at home orders for three months. It's not gonna happen. <sighs> but I think that's gonna move. I think the Oscars are gonna postpone at least a month. Yeah, it, it's all gotta move. It's an ecosystem. It's I know. such a. It's such an ecosystem, the film calendar year, that you just can't have all these things canceled and then no vetting be done for the Oscars. I mean, it would blow my brain in asunder. Yeah. I feel so, like as uh, in your shoes of like the Oscars, the the real like, this is an Oscar movie Oscars, yeah. I think we're going to get those. But mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, I think if anything, we're going to get moves like the Fast 9 or you know Wonder Woman yeah. 1984. Like some of those might end up late in the year or out of the year and and we'll see where it goes but man those those are you know they make so many of them they have to release them you know like black widow you know like uh they jumbled the the eternals got moved already and you know so i think that's what we desperately need like we have no blockbusters that's what hurts because they know how much money those make but i think as far as the oscars i think our our, our no, noses pointed upward uh, as film Twitter and film critics. Uh, I think we will be okay uh, by year's end to, to have quite a good amount of films. And I'm glad I you and I so, got man. to talk about a good one today. King Richard was the only one that moved that freaked me out. But you're right. I mean, it, it, most of the Oscar slate has stayed so... I, I can take a deep breath for the time being, but I, I'm still very bearish. Yeah, <laughs> everything moving as you can tell. So I mean, maybe I'm just a worry wart in that regard. But yeah, this was a blast. I hope this movie could be one that capitalizes. The half of it should capitalize yeah. on the dearth of quote unquote Oscary movies. And yeah, let's get something like this. I mean, let's get it into the best original screenplay conversation. Let's do it. Why not? All right, I appreciate you, sir, for coming on and, and doing this with me. And, you know, it's always nice to talk movies that are not Netflix because we're all film fans and, and trying to spread the wealth. Uh, tell the people what you got coming up for, for Mike, Mike and Oscar. You guys are a machine by having, uh, you know, three episodes a week when we're all scrambling to get one. Uh, so please uh, tell the people what you got coming up and, and what you're looking forward to and where they can find you. Well, quarantine life has offered us a lot more free time, so thankfully we can still churn out the episodes. But we got we got two like weekly shows 
that we tend to do. One is Mike, Mike and Oscar weekly, where we cover like all the Hollywood news, all the blockbuster news, a lot of the fun stuff in a way. And, and then we have Oscar race checkpoint, which is the, uh, the boring show, the extra boring. No, I mean, we, we basically, we talk about all the award season stuff and, and we don't necessarily do Oscar race checkpoint every single week in the off season. But when Mike and I, you know, have Oscar stuff to talk about, like we're going to have this week, like we had last week, like we had the week before that. In fact, we had two orcs when AMC was going toe to toe with universal and the Oscars are changing their rules. So I think this will be the fourth Oscar race checkpoint in three weeks for us this Saturday. But next up, we're doing a fun top fives episode on our worst movie experiences, which is fun. I've already wrote my top five for that. I know Mike is in the dock writing his. We got some crazy stories for that one. Nice. Because we ha- we've had our misses. So th- <laughs> that'll be therapeutic. We talk about you know crazy shit as well. But James Bond character sp- study is going monthly. We originally bumped that to November, and then we're looking at the calendar, dude, and we're like, we have no room to do a rewatch series in November. Netflix has 20 movies on its own. How <laughs> yeah. are we going to review all these films and then everything else hitting theaters? So James Bond character study, we're doing it monthly. We're getting it done over the summer as our, uh, you know, kind of our series of the year. Last year we did Tarantino and Pixar. This year we got James Bond going on. So hopefully that will stay and we'll have a James Bond character study that builds to a new James Bond movie because they're they're getting pretty fun in the daniel craig era here yeah no i was definitely looking forward to that film as well uh especially you know uh i i've been kind of looking for the right moment to do a bisa no nation episode uh because our podcast came out after that film was released Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know it'd be a nice uh fukunawa you know tie-in and also idris alba uh actually had COVID 19 uh for a little bit the poor guy so i was like oh we can kind of make things worth it and and bond got pushed back and you know here we are i hope i hope they're very different films (laughs) yes say that much yes i will say that as well all right thank you no, sir. this was fun man yeah absolutely and everybody check out mike mike and oscar it's a blast and it will definitely uh with three episodes a week keep your cue your podcast cue full uh all the way through this so thank you very much mike for coming on you got it 